0: Hello and welcome back to the Q's Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, our lives have been disrupted. People have lost loved ones, their jobs, their sense of security, and for some, even their sense of purpose. In addition to the physical factors associated with this pandemic, there is another side to COVID-19 that can be nearly as devastating, the damage done to our mental and spiritual well-being. Social distancing has changed the ways we interact with our friends and family members. Trying to go out in public brings about a new set of complexities and challenges we're all learning to live through this unprecedented period of uncertainty, shock, sorrow, and fear. Today's guest on the Cuse Conversations podcast is the Reverend Brian Conkle, Dean of Hendricks Chapel at Syracuse University. He is going to share with us the healing power of presence and what it can teach us during times of crisis. Conkle is also a professor of practice in the Department of Religion and his teaching and scholarship makes the case education is far more than just the acquisition of information. Learning must include both our heads and our hearts. He says that one of the most important lessons to be learned during this pandemic is the practice of presence because when we are present with others, especially in times of crisis, we can spark and sustain fulfillment by providing others the permission to stop hoping for a better past. Dean Conkle, thank you so much for making the time to join us here, for what I hope is an enlightening episode of the Cuse Conversations podcast. Thank you, John. Good to be here. And please call me Brian. I love it, Brian. I've been a big fan of yours since you came to Syracuse. You're entering your fourth year as a Dean of Hendricks Chapel. Why did you come to Syracuse and what does your job as Dean of Hendricks Chapel really entail?
1: Well, it's great to be here with you and it's great to be at Syracuse. It's amazing. It's been three years since I first came up that hill and stepped up on those beautiful Hendricks Chapel steps overlooking the quad. And it's like many people around the country, I grew up watching Syracuse basketball and thought what an amazing opportunity it would be one day to be on this campus. And now to be here, it really is a joy. And when I think about that process of before I came, there was actually three things that I thought were really remarkable about Hendricks Chapel and about Syracuse University as a whole. The first was history, the second was community, and the third was opportunity. Um, speaking of Hendricks Chapel, created in 1930 as one of the first interfaith spaces in higher education in North America, where people of various religious and spiritual perspectives could come together to deepen their roots and to expand their reach. It's in a remarkable, remarkable history. And also, community. Uh, Every year, thousands upon thousands of people come to Hendricks Chapel for lectures, for worship services, for text studies, for all sorts of different opportunities. It's an amazing, diverse, and dynamic community. And thirdly, I saw a tremendous opportunity um, to work with Chancellor Severud, to work with uh, colleagues on the executive team, Chancellor's Council, and an amazing group of chaplains, religious life advisors, I really felt like this was the right time to be here. And it's been an amazing three years. And what we see ourselves is, is the spiritual heart of campus, not just physically located in the center, but as a reminder of how is it that we get into the center of who we are as humans, that we're not just brains, as you said in the introduction, but we're also hearts and how it is that we ensure that our graduates receive far more than just a ticket to an entry level job, but our graduates receive trajectories towards an extraordinary life. So it's a real honor to be in Hendricks Chapel, and and I feel like especially right now, our work is is needed more than ever.
0: Brian, and, and I really appreciated you sharing some of the background of both Hendrix, its rich history, and also why you chose to come to Syracuse. I do want to go back real quick to one comment you made about growing up watching Syracuse and the Big East in Wisconsin. Did you have a favorite basketball or football player or moment or memory from <laughs> yeah, watching the Orange?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I had a lot of favorite players. Like, uh, you know, for me, back in the day, when you think about it, I can go on and on. I mean, Derek Coleman, Billy Owens, Roni Cycli. I mean, I remember watching those games, and uh, it, was, it was remarkable. And now, of course, when you're looking at football, Don McPherson, of course, Donovan McNabb, these were just national larger than life figures. And, um, I, you know, I grew up in a real small town in central Wisconsin. Um, you know, would I joke about it? I could not only fit my town, uh, <laughs> you know, I could fit, you know, 20 times the amount of my town inside, inside the dome. And so it was just a larger than life place. And to be here now, uh, it's it, it, I really do pinch myself to think what an honor it is to be here. And what I've since learned, it's more than just big fancy buildings and great games and things like that. But it's really, I've met some amazing people, extraordinary faculty, extraordinary administrators, staff. And my family's fallen in love with the city of Syracuse and with central New York. And this is a beautiful place to be and we, we really do love it here.
0: Well, you talk about uh, pinching yourself over the, the perspective of being here at Syracuse and working for, again, you know, the Hendricks Chapel is such a, a staple on campus along with the, with the dome out there. And, and we talk about you know, that perspective of, of staying in the moment and, and the power of presence. Obviously, Brian, none of us were around during 1918 when the Spanish flu was the last pandemic that ripped through our country and ripped across the, the, the world, really bringing devastation and, and destruction to society. As we're dealing with COVID-19, um, you talk about the healing power of presence. What can that power of presence teach us during these times of crisis? Sure. Sure.
1: Well, first of all, just to all those who are listening in who've been having a difficult time, just want to, of course, share that you are in my prayers and we are here for you. And to know that this is such an incredibly difficult time for so many people on so many different levels. And as I think about how it is that we best respond in these difficult times, There's one, I would argue, ultimate promise that we can give to one another, and that is the power of presence. Presence is precious. And presence isn't just about being mindful of the moment that we find ourselves in, but it's also about sharing in the experiences of others. So again, presence isn't just sharing physical space. Um, As my own wife would say, I could be physically in the room with her, but but not mentally, (laughs) on my phone or... My brain is somewhere else, so it's, it's, it's beyond <laughs> physical presence. It's about shared experience, and it's about being with other people. And I think it's about who we are as humans. I think that we were created as relational beings and how it is that we accompany one another through not just challenging times, but also very much gratifying, fulfilling, and celebratory times. When we can physically or metaphorically, spiritually hold someone by the hand and journey with them, it's saying, I'm here for you, I'm with you, and I will not forsake you. I think that that's a powerful, powerful thing that we can do for each other, and it's a power thing that we can allow others to do for us.
0: It really is. It's a powerful message of, again, appreciating the loved ones that are around you and taking time to just take stock and celebrate Even though things are uncertain, there still are blessings that most of us are fortunate to still have in our lives. But given that there is so much uncertainty around the future of COVID-19 and its impact on our lives, what advice do you have for people who are looking, are struggling to stay in that moment and to find that presence?
1: Mm. Well, there's a couple different things. I think first of all is to pay attention. Uh, one of the things we talk about here on campus, when we talk about these words like religion and spirituality, what are we actually talking about when we're talking about religion and spirituality? And much of spirituality is about paying attention. It's about paying attention to what's going on in our hearts, in our minds and in our relationships. So the first thing is, is to essentially flip on our spiritual lights, to come out of the dark and to say, how am I feeling? Where am I at? and to be mindful of that. And then the word religion itself comes from the Latin religare, and it means to connect. And I love the etymology of that word because it forces us to pay attention, therefore, to what we are connected to and how we want to be connected. So in this time of COVID-19 and the far other crises that we're dealing with from racial injustice, to economic disparity, to climate change, to everything that we're experiencing right now, I would argue that presence, acceptance, is the foundation by which we build a better future together. It's the moment that we stop hoping for a better past. We accept our presence and we build towards a common future. But it starts, I think, with acceptance. It starts with that sense of awareness and paying attention to saying, where am I? how am I, who am I, and then
0: moving alongside others to experience where it is that we want to go. Because really, Brian, and again, I'm so glad to hear you talk about, it's not about looking back as to what we've dealt with at the beginning of the pandemic. We all are in this together. We are all trying to advance and move our society forward. And whether you're in a small rural community or whether you're in a big metro hub like New York City, The challenges are all the same. We're all still dealing with a lot of the same core issues of keeping our loved ones safe, our family safe, putting food on the table and keeping that roof over our heads. So it can, but it can be, it can be really easy to get distracted in in the big term. I find, and I know you're an ardent believer in this too, of the power of just like take a deep breath, stay in that moment. Like we talk about the power of presence. Why is that so important to really take pause and, uh, and try to remember that even though things might feel out of control, you know, just if you take a deep breath, you can try to attack what you're facing.
1: That's a great question. This insight actually came to me from my spouse, Kristen, who's a faculty member in the Department of Exercise Science. And one of the things that Kristen has taught me and reminded me of around the physical body and the ways in which our body grows because of rest So, for example, people think that muscles grow during exercise. That's actually not true. Muscles grow while we are resting and recovering post-exercise. So, in many ways, we can qualify that for our spiritual, emotional, and mental state that when we pause, things are able to grow. We're able to think. As um, I would like to remind people during this time of social distancing – that solitude and silence does actually speak. Silence is actually very, very profound. And when we're willing to shut out the noise of cell phones and TVs and radios and all this clatter that we've got going on in our lives, I would argue it's often noise pollution that we fill ourselves with. Silence will speak. And silence will inform us, it will form us, and it will even transform us to have deeper thoughts about who we are, what we value, and the direction we would like our lives to be. And one of the consequences of this particular crisis is clarity. That as people are spending more time at home, more time with their families, more time reflecting, one of the things that this particular COVID-19 crisis has brought about is clarity. Clarity about ourselves, clarity about society, and clarity around the direction it is that we would like to see our community, our country, and our world to go. But I would argue that it starts with pause. It starts with solitude. It starts with reflection, because then through that clarity, well, it can also give birth to creativity, a call to action, and newfound coalitions all that can serve our common good so there is power not just in presence but there is power in the pause
0: i think a lot of times people especially i know whenever i have a situation to deal with i want to rush headlong head first and try to tackle whatever that problem might be and there's some merit to that but especially in times of a pandemic in times of, of a crisis you're right sit back take a step back take a pause and take stock in what we're doing because you can make some missteps if you rush into something, but taking your time and taking a calculated step, that's invaluable. And how did you learn? You mentioned your wife, what kind of role has she really played in helping to pull out some of these gems? Because you, you, you're so respected on campus and with your philosophy, I I imagine she uh, gets credit for being the better half. (laughs) Well,
1: and that would be true. Anyone who spent any amount of time with the Congo family would know uh, that she is far smarter, far stronger, far more <laughs> beautiful than uh, anything I will ever become. And, you know, Kristen and I met when I was eight years old, back in central Wisconsin, and she truly is a life partner, And she's someone who has sacrificed on countless occasions, from her own career to her own comfort level, to really support my sense of calling. And she's an amazing mother and a brilliant scholar and an excellent teacher. And one of the things that I've learned about Kristen, especially in this particular time, is to really focus in on vocation and our calling in life and how I would argue that, for example, on the one hand, we've got our joys, our passions, and the things that Fill us with life. And then on the other hand, we have what are the emerging needs of the world. And Kristen and I both were raised in various uh, religious traditions in which we take calling seriously. And Kristen's been wonderful about helping me and others to think about what is our calling in this moment, in that our calling is always emerging. Why? Because our gifts, joys, and passions are always changing. And why? Because the needs of the world are always changing. So it's about being in a consistent state of vocational discernment. And as someone who's known me for multiple decades, (laughs) she's been an amazing dialogue partner. And of course, like a great life partner should, uh, she challenges me and pushes me and prods me not just to do my best, but to ensure that I'm living into my calling at Syracuse and helping to bring uh, bring the best out in others.
0: We've talked so far, Brian, about uh, some of the sacrifices that have been made. And and, and there is a really poignant piece that you penned uh, for Syracuse.com where you're talking about how, despite the fact that many of us have suffered losses, whether they're financial, whether they're friendship or family members who have passed away, or even disruption to our day-to-day routine, this disease of COVID-19 can't cancel what matters most to us, like our relationships and our faith. What did you mean by that about the pandemic, not being able to cancel what matters most to us?
1: Yeah. I really struggled when writing that because I did not want to feel ingenuous to the losses that people have suffered. Many people have lost a great deal and I feel terribly for that high school senior who wasn't able to walk in person for their graduation. I feel awful for that senior music student who had a recital planned and it didn't go the way that they wanted it to. And the list goes on and on, especially when we think about those who have lost loved ones and who have lost their jobs. And so what I mean by that is that while we should take seriously that which has been lost, and feel compassion for those who have lost significant portions of that which matters most to them. What I was thinking about in that piece was who are we actually as human beings? And I was reminded of, you know, (laughs) one of the things that in my role is that I'm around a lot of funerals. And one of the great honors of my life is that I get entered into those moments where people have to say their final goodbyes to loved ones um, before they pass from this life on to the next. And one of the things that I tell people is that I've been to hundreds of funerals in my life and not once have I heard someone stand up at a funeral and read the resume of the deceased. And never once have I heard someone read uh, the net worth of the deceased or the bank account balance of the deceased. (laughs) So what tells me is that in times of crisis, it forces us to think about what matters most. And so what does matter most? What do we value? And I would argue that at our core being, it's about relationships. It's about who do we love and who loves us in return. And COVID-19 is not going to cancel that. It's not going to cancel who I love. It's not going to cancel who loves me in return. In fact, what it might do is help to clarify those things, spark and sustain those things. And so the writing was meant for us to say, ultimately, we cannot choose our circumstances, especially in a pandemic, but we can choose the ways in which we react. We can choose our attitude, we can choose how we treat one another and we can choose the extent by which we love others and are willing to receive love from others. So it's pretty remarkable when I wrote that piece back in early March, I, I, I couldn't have imagined that we'd still be thinking about it, quite frankly, in such a way here in mid-August. Um, but uh, here we are. And um, I'm thankful for the
0: reaction that it received then and continues to receive now. Yeah, it's definitely worth uh, anyone who's listening. It's worth your time to go back and really outline some of the steps that that Brian talks about. And and, and it's almost like the the steps of dealing and coping with this pandemic. There's some really helpful tips and best practices to apply to your life. And and one of the ones, Brian, that really struck well with me was community. And we're all struggling with how do we replicate that community, Um, especially now things have opened up a bit. Uh, new York State has been reopened for a while. We have been able to get back out there and socially distance at some restaurants and, and some places that we like to go pre-pandemic, but there's still a struggle to get that sense of community. Mm-hmm. How important is it for people to find a community, even if it's a new or modified version of their community, in this pandemic life?
1: Well, cre- community is central to who we are as humans. Uh, for me, as a Lutheran minister, I think about who God is in the relationality of the, the Holy Trinity. And I think that we in humans are the same that, for example, I can't be a father without children. I can't be a child without parents. I can't be a spouse without another spouse. I can't be a brother without siblings. So as they would say in South Africa, um, the great concept of Ubuntu, a person is only a person through other people, which means we need each other to become ourselves. So while we can socially distance, we do not spiritually distance, which means we recognize that we were actually created to be in community. I think that's core to who we are as humans. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't spend some time in solitude and to be alone. I mean, look, even in the Bible, Jesus goes off by himself to pray and takes a little bit of alone time. That's cool. But also, at the end of the day, we were formed for relationships. And I think this is so important because isolation, I would argue, is antithetical to who we are as humans. To be isolated creates other I words, quite frankly, ignorance, indifference, and I would argue even injustice. And this is not surprising as to why we've seen such a spike in mental health issues in the last five to six months post COVID-19. We're seeing, especially 18 to 24-year-olds who have reported over the last five months, 75% in the United States, mental health episodes, 75%. We've also seen between the ages of 18 and 24, 25% have had suicidal ideations. So this pandemic is not just about a physical virus. It's also about a social and spiritual virus. We're seeing the consequences Of extended isolation. So I think it's important to reach out to others and it's important to allow others to reach out to you, whether it's connecting by phone, connecting on a Zoom call, um, taking a socially distant walk together, trying to be in community, because we were created to be in community. And so my hope is that for listeners to find those ways to connect, to find those ways to build community, because we do. We do need others to become ourselves. It's who we are as humans, those relationships
0: and those connections. I wanna play off of that, Brian, with my next question because yeah. every aspect of life has been challenged during COVID-19 and, and, and the spiritual, the, the faith-based community has not been immune to that. What do you think with Hendricks Chapel for this upcoming academic year? How will the chapel be able to embrace the challenges of still offering those great services while maintaining social distancing.
1: I'm so proud of our team of chaplains and staff and religious and spiritual advisors. They've, (laughs) you know, they've had to turn on a dime like many of us. And so all of a sudden we are in mid-march and flipping so many programs and services from these in-person ceremonies, many of which are Practices that have really been set for decades and for some hundreds of years, these ancient liturgies, which are beautiful and meaningful. And all of a sudden it's placing them on Zoom or Instagram Live or Twitter or Facebook. And what I found was that although the how of chaplaincy or the how of religious and spiritual life had changed, the why certainly had not. We thought, how do we continue the mission and vision of Hendricks Chapel when the circumstances and conditions of Hendricks Chapel and our campus have changed. We are ultimately in service to the common good through religious, spiritual, moral, and ethical life. We are ultimately about inviting all learners into the fullness of life. We are ultimately about being a home for all faiths and a place for all people. So it was about seeing this as a way to connect, and what does that look like? We said, well, if we are the spiritual heart of Syracuse University, where are the veins and the arteries of Syracuse University? And how do we pump life-giving sustenance throughout this educational body? And so instead of it being physically on the quad or on physically on campus, it becomes, let's do this through social media. Let's be savvy and creative about how it is that we meet people where they are at. Recognizing that the chapel was always more than just a building. The chapel is a movement. The chapel is a set of commitments about meeting people where they are at. Why? So that we can nurture the soul and ignite the spirit. And quite frankly, it's been really remarkable. I suppose in part because we are in a moment where people are asking those questions, who are asking around their deep meaning and purpose and so the the soil is fertile if you will to have deep religious and spiritual conversations but also i give our staff a lot of credit i mean each week thousands of people are engaging with our programs and services through facebook twitter instagram uh, various platforms that i'm not even sure how they work and as students come back to campus and as we live into the complexities joys of this fall semester, uh, we will continue to do everything we can to, to meet students where they're at and to follow our mission and vision so that our students are cared for and we're giving them, I would say, safe spaces, but also brave spaces so that they can embrace who they are and live into who they're being called to be.
0: Brian, it's commendable. And I'm glad you gave a shout out to your, your staff and your, your talented yeah. workers behind the scene. There's so many things that have to go into transforming in-person programming to that virtual landscape. And hopefully we're not stuck in this socially distanced environment, you know, for, for quite some time down the road. But I know I have all the faith in the world that Hendricks Chapel is going to keep taking those steps to connect and engage with students and alumni. I want to take you back real quick to a history lesson for, for yourself, for our listeners. When was that moment that you realized you had a passion for service and for faith and for really this calling that you're in right now?
1: (laughs) Well, we're going to have to turn this into a three hour podcast for this, uh, you know, uh, I got time. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you, I'll give you the short version. And uh, the short version is, is my own undergraduate experience. Um, I'm a proud graduate of Viterbo University, a small private liberal arts college in La Crosse, Wisconsin, of the Franciscan Catholic tradition. And one of the joys of being at Viterbo in that Franciscan tradition was having a theological, religious, spiritual backbone to their mission and vision. And during my third year of that experience, I had an amazing campus priest named Father Tom O'Neill, And he accompanied me in a way that changed my life. He inspired me to answer the calling for my life. I changed direction. I was pre-law. I was a criminal justice major and helped me to have the courage to share with my basketball teammates, my roommate, my girlfriend, who was uh, my wife, (laughs) who's now my (laughs) wife, um, um, that this was the direction. And... And life, life took off. And so, you know, I never would have imagined back then that ministry would take me to service in South America, service in South Africa, service in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and now Central New York. and But at the beginning of it, it really helps me here at this moment of it. I am a personal recipient of the power of religious and spiritual programming on a university campus, it changed my life. And when I think about the way that Father Tom changed my life, that's part of the gift that I want to share with our students, whether it's Christian students, Jewish students, Muslim students, Buddhist students, whatever it is that students are coming at. I want them to have safe spaces and brave spaces where they can embrace who they are and feel inspired to live into the fullness of life.
0: We are, we are very blessed, Brian, that you decided to abandon the pre-law. I mean, I'm sure you would have made, you would have made a great defense attorney or a prosecutor, but I think you're- yeah. <laughs>
1: That's also something my wife uh, has said. She said, uh, yeah, she says, I, I, I maybe take out my litigation itch out too much at home every once in a while and trying to argue my case. But uh, again, another conversation for another
0: time. <laughs> we, we are very blessed that you chose to uh, to pursue <laughs> this route here as a Dean of Hendricks Chapel. And uh, Brian, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You've given us some really powerful and poignant lessons to take with us about the healing power of presence, staying in the moment, finding community and really just trying to navigate our way through He's Uncharted Waters. Thank you so much for your insights. And I wish you nothing but the best with the chapel and everything moving forward.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you for all that you are doing. Wish you and your loved ones all the best. Thanks to all of our listeners. Be well, be hopeful, and God bless.
0: Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Q's Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the CUSE Conversations podcast.